0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hanson. Thurley Ruxton by Philip Viril miguels Chapter 33 A Still Alarm At one o'clock, with the storm increasing in fury and threatening to become a blizzard, Alice Van Kirk was already impatient and blaming herself for having permitted Thurley to respond so recklessly in person to the needs of her unfortunate cousin. She remembered the dread with which she had permitted Thurley's visit to the place on the former occasion. With a sense of uneasiness and indefinable premonition expanding in her more subconscious self, as she thought of the weather of Thurley's unprotected condition and her beauty that marked her at once for attention, she rebuked herself anew for permitting the girl to undertake another of these doubtful excursions alone. She stood by the window, commanding a view of the avenue as well as the cross street running east, eagerly scanning every carriage that might contain the princess. Countless important trifles were neglected. She owned herself frankly worried even before she might in reason have expected thoroughly home. By half-past one, with the avenue all but deserted in the fury of the gale and driving snow, Alice was fidgeting, feverish, and Thoroughly distressed, she felt so utterly helpless. She was aggravated by the knowledge that the house where Edith lived was a horrid place, without a telephone and without proper heat for such a day. Thoroughly would be certain to contract a cold if nothing worse occurred to make this adventure the last of its kind that should ever be permitted.' ALONE WITH HER SERVANTS, ALICE FELT MORE THAN EVER ISOLATED AND HAUNTED BY MULTIPLYING FEARS. AT TWO O'CLOCK, UNABLE TO ENDURE THE UNCERTAINTY LONGER, AND POSSESSED OF ALL MANNER OF SUGGESTIONS AND SUSPICIONS, SHE ORDERED ONE OF THE SERVANTS TO GO AT ONCE WITH THE CAR TO THE PLACE OF EDITH'S RESIDENCE AND DETERMINE WHAT HAD HAPPENED. Phone me at once before starting home, she instructed, concealing her agitation as best she might, and insist that Miss Thurley return without delay, even though her task is unfinished. She was certain Thurley would come before the man could reach the house. She told herself she felt relieved now that something had been done. Nevertheless, she oscillated back to the window, times innumerable, straining her eyes to peer far down the avenue, gloom to detect the form of James and the dark maroon of her carriage. When the phone-bell finally jangled its demand for attention, her nerves were all on edge. She hastened to the instrument. "'Well, hello, hello, is that you, John? You coming home?' Like the voice of a ghost— Hard riding on the storm, the hollow reply came back. I couldn't find nothing over, ma'am. Not there, ma'am. The house was apparently empty, ma'am. No one to open the door. Nothing alive about the place, ma'am. Alice felt a sudden, overwhelming confirmation of her nebulous fears. Something sank in her bosom leadenly. "'Are you sure you had the right number, John?' "'And she gave it again with most distinct particularity. "'There could be no doubt that John had applied for admission "'to the house that Edith had named.' "'Alice all but moaned. "'But,' she demanded, "'where is James?' "'Driving up and down, ma'am, to keep his horse from freezing. "'He hasn't seen nothing of Miss Thurley. "'He's uh, stopping where she posted him.' ma'am, to to wait. Alice hesitated, a settled conviction of disaster, to thoroughly taking unopposed possession of her being. John, she called, why didn't you ask at the other houses near? Uh, Go and do so at once, and phone again. So I did, ma'am, John replied across the wire. I knocked up three of the neighbors, and— Two knows nothing at all, ma'am, and the third old person says all the parties in the house "'I referred to moved out and went away this morning, ma'am, "'taking a sick one with them and going in a car.' "'When?' cried Alice sharply. "'Was it after Miss Thurley arrived?' "'The old party didn't say, ma'am, not having seen Miss Thurley arrive, "'but four persons left before twelve o'clock.' "'one, as she says, being apparently queer "'and so weak she had to be carried. "'Oh!' Alice swayed where she stood, "'but grasped at the mastery of self and voice with all her strength. "'You and James may both come home.' "'She did not hear his thank you, ma'am, "'as she hung the receiver on the hook. "'She simply stood stock still and stared at the instrument.' which had crystallized her alarms. She was utterly faint, and felt a sense of helplessness, together with a wild, unreasoning wish, to rush at once to the house herself, do something, anything, pervading all her being. Her conviction that Thurley was the victim of some fiendish plot was absolute. She had felt a premonition from the first— and its warning had been unheeded, so vague and senseless had it appeared. Yet it did not seem possible that anything actually harmful, malignant, could have come to the girl in a time so brief as this. It's the princess business, she exclaimed aloud, in a sudden lucubration where her mind was groping for a reason. The baron, the duke, the others, she thought, were some way responsible, there was something political, something hidden, in a matter involving so much to hurt Sagotha. But what? Why take Thurley, whom the baron knew to be an American girl? Her thoughts ran wild as she stood there, big-eyed with fear and helplessness. The runaway princess might have died, and the kingdom require her double— So much was at stake, as the baron had said, as he himself had requested thoroughly to continue in her role. But what to do, and how to discover anything, and how to save the trusting girl she had grown so dearly to love. Her natural thought was the chief of police and all the scions of the law. She even started toward the phone to alarm every station in town. But she halted instantly. To advertise the disappearance of the girl like this might be exceedingly unwise. It would warn the possible conspirators who might have committed some act of violence. It would wholly divulge the final facts as to who Miss Thurley was. Moreover, it might not be a case for the bungling police, especially if the Baron or the Duke was concerned but something must be done, and done at once. To stand here inactive, paralyzed with dread and fear of some terrible thing that had happened, was the action of a child. There must be something. There had to be something to do. Yet to whom could she turn, and what could she say, and and how act swiftly and effectively to get the princess back? The phone bell rang again, and she started galvanically, her hand flying quickly to her heart. A wild hope surged through her t- fears. It might be thoroughly. With a nerveless hand, she caught the black receiver and placed it to her ear. Hello! Hello! said a cheery voice across the wire. Is that you there, Alice? This is Robley. "'It's such a gem of a day. I thought perhaps I'd find you in, and you'd let me come just to celebrate putting my wrist back in commission. What do you say?' She had never felt so glad in her life for the thought of a man to give her help. Of all persons in the world, including her absent husband, none could have been more welcome in her helpless plight than Robley Stiverd. "'Oh, come at once,' she answered in the instrument, "'Come just as soon as you can.' She would trust no more to the wires, which not infrequently leak, but sank into a chair already made weaker for the very thought of leaning on someone else. She had nearly ten minutes in which to calm herself before Robley was admitted below. He was directed at once to Alice's one particular real home-room where he had no sooner entered than he realized something was amiss. Alone, he said, as he gave her his hand, the right hand offered for the first time since his accident. You're pale, not ill, I hope. Sit down, said Alice, so absolutely colorless and smileless that Stivert was alarmed. Something dreadful has happened, probably, and Heaven must have sent you to the phone. I need you so. Nothing has happened to Miss Thoroughly, he said, his own dearest thought thus prompt to apply the worry accurately. What is it, then? Heaven knows. I wish I knew, she said, and rapidly, briefly, she reviewed the entire morning's events, including the statement of the servant John, who was due to arrive at any moment. I... I don't know what to think or how to act, she presently concluded, having risen to walk erratically and nervously about the room. I am simply convinced she was lured to the house in question on a blind, and has been abducted, spirited away, if it isn't something worse. I hailed your coming as a godsend. Now tell me what to do. Stuyvesant's face had assumed a set expression— of intensity heightened by pallor the depth of his feeling for thurley had never been gauged before and the grip at his heart could not measure it now as it was at length to be measured who in heaven's name could have a motive a reason for desiring to abduct her he asked that is the first thing to know you have read in the papers that Grand Duke Karl and Baron von Hotchhaus are both in town, said Alice, both having come to America in record-breaking haste to search for Princess thervinia Yes, but these newspaper rumors, both the Baron and the Duke, have been at this house, Alice interrupted. The Duke has all but insisted that Thoroughly go at once with him to Herzogotha. Styvern stared at her blankly they've both been here. It's not a newspaper yarn. The whole thing might be a sort of political intrigue. The baron also demands or requests? Requests entirely, said Alice, who had checked herself at the very brink of revealing the truth concerning Thoroughly's origin. Don't don't you see that almost anything terrible could have happened, that it must all have been a trick?' "'Styvern had risen, even as Alice once more sank in her chair. "'Perhaps I haven't any right to interfere,' he said, "'but thoroughly chose a life for herself, "'perhaps even escape from her country and the duke. "'She is more to me than perhaps you realize. "'Her wishes and her rights, rights to freedom "'and the liberty to go unmolested, "'to give her kindness and sympathy to the afflicted, "'have got to be respected.' Such conduct as this would be unpardonable, even in Emperor William himself. I mean to get to the bottom of this, no matter what sacrifice, or who may be involved, I will find her, I'll help her, I'll get her back, if they shoot me down for my pains. But do something now, this minute, said Alice, before it is all too late. We haven't any time for walking up and down and talking. What do you advise? The first thing to do is to make ourselves sure that something is wrong. Some plot, some trap has been laid. The letter you say was from a girl she sent to Lakewood some time ago, and Edith Steck, who wrote that she had been robbed, and had therefore returned and was ill and greatly in need at her old address, the address for Thoroughly had gone to see her before. "'Styrant went to the phone and snatched the receiver from the hook. "'Give me the Western Union Telegraph Company in a hurry,' he demanded a moment later. "'I haven't time to look up the number.' "'What is it?' said Alice. "'What do you mean to do? "'Wire to Edith's deck at Lakewood. "'You said she's at the Pines. "'If she's there, all right, we'll know it was all a job.' "'But her letter mailed right here in town.' perhaps a clever forgery. It's possible. Hello, Western Union, take a message, please, and make it a special with paid reply and charge me any price you like, but get it off and the answer back in an hour. Uh, Yes, Robley Styron. All right, ready? Miss Edith Steck, Hotel Pines, Lakewood, New Jersey. Kindly wire your condition at once. Important. Reply paid. Sign it, Robley Stiverant. And he added Alice's address. Thank you. Rush it, please. Goodbye. But why the girl's condition, said Alice excitedly. What will she think? Anything she pleases, perhaps. That some situation depends on her health. The main idea is to find out at once whether she is there or not. Then why not use the long-distance phone? "'Oh, I am an ass,' he declared, and back he shot to the instrument was presently making his demands. Fully twenty minutes of time were consumed before the connections could be made. Both Robley and Alice were pacing restlessly to and fro in the meantime, speculating, surmising, attempting to deduce from the little they knew what might be lying beneath the deed so boldly and unexpectedly committed.' James and John had both returned and were neglected while Stivernt waited on his wire. Then at length the bell rang out its call, and the Hotel Pines was on the farther end, the clerk's voice sounding so clearly that Alice could distinguish every word. Uh, "'Miss Deck is here. Yes, sir,' said the voice. "'Stood at the desk not five minutes ago, asking for a letter. Uh, shall I call her to the phone?' Uh, No, uh, thank you, no, said Styver. Is she well? Oh, she said so, and she looks it. Thank you. Kindly let her know a wire is on the way asking about her health, and tell her the phone was a second thought and not to bother with an answer. This is Mr. Styver speaking. Thank you. I think of nothing further. Bye. He turned to Alice. My suspicion is confirmed. Thurley was lured to the house by a forgery without a doubt. I want to see James and John a moment, then I'm going myself to the house. I'll get you the letter, said Alice. I'm sure it was left in Thurley's room. End of chapter 33